0: Father, as we think this morning about how you have brought about peace vertically between us and you through our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray that you would help us to understand the implications of that for how we can then go and display that same forgiving and reconciling grace in our relationships with others. Help us this Christmas season to face conflict. Prepare us for that this morning. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever had a song that you thought you knew the lyrics to, and then later out you find out you were totally wrong in the lyrics, and maybe even years later that those lyrics weren't right? For for me, one of those songs is a Christmas classic. It's Home for the Holidays by Perry Como. For the longest time, I thought the lyrics were, If you want to be happy in a million ways for the holidays, you can't be home sweet home. I thought the guy just couldn't stand his family members. That's what I thought the song was about. If you want to be happy in a million ways, definitely don't be around with my family. That's what he was saying. And he seemed so chipper and happy when he was singing. Kind of an odd Christmas song. Uh, but of course, those are not the lyrics. Learn that later on. Uh, the correct lyrics are actually, if you want to be happy in a million ways, for the holidays you can't beat, home sweet home. But I think if we're honest, a lot of us can relate better to the wrong lyrics of that song. When we think about the prospect of facing family drama and family conflict around the holidays and we think to ourselves, if I want to be happy in a million ways, I better not be at home. Have you ever felt that way yourself? Facing Relational conflict in your family. Have you ever felt that way about the holidays? It's not an uncommon feeling, not an uncommon experience that people have. Lots of people are dealing with unresolved family conflict year-round. The holiday gatherings just tend to to bring that out, make it unavoidable and intensify it. And so people often just dread this time of year because of the relational strife that they know they're going to face. So how do you face it? How do you face and survive holiday conflict? And what does Christmas have to do with it? Well, it turns out Christmas has a lot to say about it. A lot to say about how we deal with it. The birth of Jesus has massive implications I mean, really practical implications for how we deal with relational conflict. And that's what we're going to tackle this morning. And here's what I want to do. I want to answer two questions. I want to answer what the birth of Jesus actually has to do with conflict. And then I want to answer the question of, of how that's supposed to help us deal with the conflict that we face at Christmas time. It's one thing to know that it, it's related to conflict. It's another to say, now very practically, on the ground level, this week, as I interact with people, how does it apply for me? And I think grasping those two answers will help us significantly. That's not going to guarantee we're not going to face conflict. We probably will face conflict. But still, this is going to help us, I think, when we face the conflict to be better prepared to pursue peace. Uh, so let's start with that first question. What does the birth of Jesus have to do with conflict? A lot, actually. In fact, it wouldn't be a stretch to say that the birth of Jesus is all about conflict, specifically about conflict resolution. And we and we see that in any number of places in the Bible. But let me just show you one from the 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 birth narrative of Jesus from Luke chapter one, and we read it a little earlier. Uh, this is Zachariah's prophecy. Zachariah, remember, he's the the dad of John the Baptist, and here in Luke chapter one, he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesies concerning the Messiah uh, before his son, uh, before whom his son would go as a forerunner. And just listen to his prophecy. Listen to this Christmas text and listen to what it has to do with peace. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. And now here it is to guide our feet into the way of peace. And that's how that marvelous prophecy ends. That's where the crescendo happens. That's where Zechariah draws our attention to think about the implications, the purpose for which the Messiah would come. The Messiah will come to guide our feet into the way of peace. And then in the very next verses we get the birth of Jesus, which is why Christmas is all about conflict, because it's all about peace. Just think about it. What is peace? Well, peace is is the opposite, right? Peace is the opposite of conflict. When two people are, are, are in conflict, when they're at odds with each other, there is an absence of peace. And we all know what that feels like. We're that awful feeling we have in the, in the pit of our stomach when we even think about facing that person. And, and whatever the cause of the conflict, you know, whatever we might do in response to it, one thing's for sure there's no peace. Which is why Jesus came. Jesus was born to guide our feet into the way of peace. And that's why the angels sing uh, just a few verses later, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he has pleased. So the birth of Jesus has a lot to do with conflict because it has a lot to do with peace. Peace with other people and especially peace with God. And we'll come back to that in a moment. So just put a pin in that and we'll come back to it. But first, what I want to do is this. I want to get very specific And very practical. I want to expand on how exactly this impacts the way that we need to go into the holidays to face conflict. The ways in which we can follow that that path to peace in our relationships with others. How does this reality of Christmas change the way we approach that estranged family member? The ways in which we deal with the, uh, you know, the 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 um the the uncovering of those old uh, relational wounds that get brought up this time of year. How do we deal with the relational struggles of the season? How does the birth of Jesus help us to deal with the conflicts that we're going to face this Christmas? And there's a lot we could say here as well. Uh, there's far more than we can cover this morning, which is why. Uh, just recently, we spent eight or nine sermons last year on a series called Resolving Everyday Conflict. We spent a lot of time thinking about this, and we went deep on how to prepare for this. And so if you want to follow up on this, if you want more than what I can give you this morning, I would just encourage you to go to the website, and you can pull up that series on relational conflict. I can't go into as much detail this morning as we did in that series, but... I do want to give you as, as many practical things this morning as I can to help you prepare for the conflicts that you're probably going to face this week. And what I want to do is just give you five ways in which the good news of Christmas helps us in those conflicts. Five principles, if you like, to help us pursue peace with others. All right. So here we go. Number one, evaluate. We need to evaluate the conflicts that we'll face this week. Here's what I mean by that. Not every offense that, that we might receive is worth confronting. Sometimes offenses are, are unintended. They're offenses, but they're, they're unintended. It's not there's not any malicious intent behind it, Uh, sometimes they're not even offenses at all. Uh, We we might take them as offenses, but upon further reflection, the person never even meant it as an an offense. It was not offensive at all. But here's the thing, even, even those that are, even when the person means it to be a cutting comment or an offensive word against us, it doesn't mean it's always worth confronting. When the family member makes that, uh, offensive comment in passing, maybe, maybe the best thing to do is just let it go and overlook the offense. I mean, that's not a, that's not a way of running from the conflict or, uh, pretending that it's not there. Rather, it's a, it's a way of dealing with it according to the principle of 1 Peter 4, 8. And a number of other passages in the Bible as well. But listen to what 1 Peter 4.8 says. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly because love covers a multitude of sins. By the way, don't miss that last part. Love covers a multitude of sins. Not like one or two, rarely, but a great many sins. Some sins, let's be clear, are so severe, uh, they're so relationally damaging, that we have to confront it. Sometimes we have to bring others in, in order to be able to help us deal with it. So some sins require that we confront the other person, but not all of them. And if you're wondering, how do you evaluate that? How do you know which ones are are, uh, worth overlooking? And, and which call us to address the person and to confront the issue. Well, let me just give you a couple of questions that you can use to help as you evaluate the conflicts that you'll face this Christmas. You can ask the question, Am I so deeply offended by what this other person has done that even, even over time, I still can't think of that other person without thinking of the offense. Which is to say you just you just can't get past it. It's always there. It's always on your mind. You can't move forward. Will not confronting the other person actually harm the relationship rather than preserve it? Or ask this question. Do I run the risk of causing more harm to the other person or to other people if I don't confront it? Ask those questions. And if the answer is yes to any of those questions, then you probably need to confront the other person. And and, and understand, when I say confront, I don't mean confront in an aggressive, accusatory, uh, self-righteous way. I mean confront them gently, at the right time, in an appropriate time with overflowing grace. We talk to them about the offense. And the goal of that talk is to bring about reconciliation, to restore the peace, as far as we're able to bring about wholeness in that relationship again. But in order to do that, we've, we've got to evaluate the conflict. Not every offense that we're going to get this Christmas is worth confronting. Many of them, perhaps even a multitude, we can simply overlook and just let our love cover. Not every offense we encounter this Christmas is worth confronting. But some of them are. And what do we do with those? How do we confront the ones that call us to respond by going to the other person? Well, that brings us to the second principle. And the second principle is this. Start with you. Start with you. We might call this the Matthew 7 principle. Why do you see the speck in the other person's eye, but you don't notice the log in your own eye? First, hear that? First take out the log in your eye, then you'll see clearly to take out the speck in the other person's eye. That's why I say start with you. It's the first thing you do is you look at your own problems, uh, your own sins, your own contribution to the conflict. Now that might not end with you, but it certainly needs to start with you. Although what we'll find when we do that, when we start with us, is that very often it will end with us. It's because when we look first in the mirror, when we look at our own hearts, when we look at our own sins, our own faults, our own contribution to the conflict, what we discover is it's largely us that needs to change. I mean, I know that's true in my life. So often I'm upset with somebody else for some offense that I think that they've given. And when I do stop, and I don't always do this, but when I do remember these principles and I stop and I reflect on it, it's usually my heart that needs to change. It's usually my sin, my attitude, my selfishness, my self-pity that is causing the problem. Start with you. When we understand that Christmas is all about Jesus coming to save us from our sins. When we understand that, when we understand that we are not basically good and we need forgiveness. We'll begin to understand how we can look inward. We can start with us as we address conflict. Now, that may not end with us. We're not the only ones who are sinners. Others are sinners as well. It may not end with us. The other person may need to be addressed, but it certainly starts with us. And sometimes it will call us to then go to the other person. And So how do we do that? Well, there's three other principles that that follow from this that help us as we interact with the other person to help resolve the conflict. Three things that I've simply summarized is go, ask, and give. Go, ask, and give. So go. Don't wait for the other person to come to you. You be the first to go to them. This is what we might call the Matthew 5 principle. Loosely translated, even if you're at church... And you remember that you've sinned against another person, you leave and you go straight away and be reconciled with them. It's how serious Jesus takes conflict. I mean, it's the same principle we see in Matthew 18, just in the reverse, right? So in, in Matthew 5, you're at fault, and Jesus says you should go and be reconciled. Matthew 18 is the other way around. In Matthew 18, the other person's at fault. The other person has sinned against you, and it's the same principle. If your brother sins against you, go. And tell him it's fault. That is, go with the aim of, of gently restoring him and, and reconciling with him. Now, I, ideally, reconciliation should feature two people going to each other and, and, and meeting in the middle. That's how it ought to be. The person who has sinned against the other person should go. The person who has sinned against should go. And they should be meeting in the middle. Both should be going. Because Jesus calls us to take the initiative. That's what Christmas teaches us, right? I mean, aren't you thankful that Jesus took the initiative with you to pursue you in reconciliation? He came. He didn't wait for you to figure out you need a Savior. He knows that we can't do that. Christmas is the story of Jesus going after the people that He loves. It's the story of Jesus taking the initiative, which is why He calls us to display that in our pursuit of others. He calls us to go and to be reconciled. We need to initiate. We need to go. And we oftentimes need to ask. That is, we need to ask for forgiveness. When we sin against others. Let me tell you how that doesn't work. Not by going and defending ourselves and excusing what we did. We don't go and say things like, well, that was just the stress of the season talking. That wasn't me. We don't say things like, I didn't mean that. We don't add long explanations for why we did what we did. This isn't a time to explain away our actions. That's why we should be, beware of long apologies. That's a good thing to remember. Beware of long apologies. Most of them aren't even apologies at all. They're what we call the, the non-apology apology, right? They don't accept responsibility for the actions. They don't accept the consequences of the actions. They don't actually ask for forgiveness. It does not take very many words to do this right. We admit specifically what we did wrong and we just ask for forgiveness. That's it. We're we're specific. I said those things. Not the stress. Not you. Not anybody else. I said those things. In fact, I meant those things when I said them. Nobody unintentionally says mean things like that to other people. That came out of my heart. I've been giving you the silent treatment. I made that joke that that hurt your feelings in front of everybody else. I lost my temper and yelled at you. I've taken you for whatever it might be. You accept what you did, and then you use these words. Some of you have never used these words in resolving conflict. I want you to use these words. Say to the other person, will you forgive me? Ask them for forgiveness. Don't just tell them what you think. You're inviting them. You're giving them the opportunity. You're putting the ball in their court to be able to extend forgiveness to you. Use the words, will you forgive me? We ask the other person. And I know that's hard. That's hard, isn't it? That's humbling. That's difficult to do. To admit what we've done and to ask the other person for forgiveness. It's very humbling. But that's how reconciliation works. We have to ask. But then lastly, we also have to give. That is, we have to be willing to give forgiveness to others. Not with an expiration date. Okay, forgiveness, real, true forgiveness, does not have an expiration date stamped on it. We don't keep the offense in our back pocket, only to bring it out in a future conflict to, to use it against the person. Ah, uh, yeah, well don't you remember when you did this? It doesn't have an expiration date on it. We don't say one thing with our mouth and then harbor bitterness and resentment in our heart. Doing that, using that expiration date approach to forgiveness, that might create a temporary ceasefire. But it does not create peace. The goal is not temporary ceasefire. The goal is restoration. The goal is completeness and wholeness. That's what the the Hebrew word shalom, peace, means. We don't forgive with an expiration date, and we don't forgive with conditions either. Forgiveness doesn't have an if-then aspect to it. You know, I'll forgive you if you never do this again. Have you ever, have you ever said that, maybe? Or have you ever heard somebody say something like that to you? I, I'll forgive you, but as long as you never do that again, we put conditions on forgiveness, and that, by definition, isn't forgiveness. That's not forgiveness. That's certainly not why Jesus came. He didn't come to give us conditions. I mean, think it. Aren't you thankful that Jesus didn't come and say to you, alright, I'll forgive you as long as you promise never to do that again? That, that would be pretty awful, right? I mean, nobody would be forgiven. Nobody can meet those conditions. He not only knows we were going to do it, he knows we were going to do it again. Because we're sinners. It doesn't mean we just live it up and we try to do as much as we can to, uh, to sin as much as we can. Of course, we're going to try hard not to do it, but we're sinners. We're going to get it wrong. Just come and offer us forgiveness on conditions. Well, as long as you do this or you do that, forgiveness by definition is free. It's free of conditions. It's free of of repayments. It's a gift of sheer mercy. That's how forgiveness works. Forgiveness is totally free. But that doesn't mean it's cheap. Forgiveness may be free to the person forgiven. But it is certainly not free to the person forgiving. It comes at great cost to the forgiver. And I don't know of anybody else who's made this point any better than the way Tim Keller puts it. Here's what he writes. Once you've been wronged and you realize there is a just debt that cannot simply be dismissed, there are only two things you can do. The first option is to seek ways to make the perpetrators suffer for what they have done. You can withhold relationship and and actively initiate or, or passively wish for some kind of pain in their lives, commensurate to what you've experienced. There's another option, though. You can forgive. Forgiveness means refusing to make them pay for what they did. However, to refrain from lashing out at someone when, when you want to do so with all your being is agony. It's a form of suffering. You not only suffer the original loss of happiness, reputation, opportunity, but now you forgo the consolation of inflicting the same on them. And now listen carefully to what he says. Don't miss this. When you forgive, here's what he says, you are absorbing the debt, taking the cost of it completely on yourself instead of taking it out on the other person. That's forgiveness. That's why forgiveness may be free, but it's not cheap. It is incredibly costly and painful to the one giving the forgiveness. Instead of requiring the other person to bear the pain of the offense that they deserve to bear, you bear the pain for them in their place. That's forgiveness. Now let me ask you something. What does that sound like to you? What story does that remind you of? It's a Christmas story, isn't it? Later in his life, when, when Jesus explained why he came to earth, why he was born in Bethlehem and, 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 and wrapped in swaddling claws and laid in a manger, the, the whole story, when he explains why we even have Christmas at all, here's what he said. He said He came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. That is to take on the debt that we owe. To give His life so that we might be forgiven and reconciled with Him. Because you see, that's how forgiveness Works. That's what reconciliation, true reconciliation requires. It's a painful thing. That's why Christmas has everything to do with how we face holiday conflict. That's why if you truly understand what Christmas is all about, that Savior coming into the world to forgive us, and the great cost of forgiving us. When we understand that, when we embrace that and treasure that, it will transform the way we approach relational conflict. See, the more we understand the priority that Jesus places on peacemaking, Enough to come into this world and to give us life for it. The more we're going to be eager to pursue that kind of reconciliation with others. Or to to use the language of the Bible, the more we're going to be eager to forgive one another as God in Christ forgave us. And so it really all comes back to that, doesn't it? Have we been forgiven by Jesus? Do we know that forgiveness this morning? Do we we know what it is to be forgiven? Not just with other people, but with the God of the universe. The God who made us. Do you know what it's like to be reconciled to Him? Do you know what it's like to enjoy... Peace with God. Not that temporary ceasefire while you work it out to to meet the conditions, to to satisfy the requirements. But when you accept and embrace that He has done it for you, that you're not going to repay Him, that you're not going to pay off the debt, that you're just going to receive what He has done for you, that's forgiveness. That's peace with God. Do you know that this morning? Because I want you to know that's on offer to you. And it's totally free. Free for you because it was immeasurably costly for Jesus. And friends, that's why it came. That's what Christmas is all about. Do you know that forgiveness this morning? Receive, by faith, His reconciling grace for you, and then go and forgive others as God in Christ has forgiven you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You for taking the initiative with us, to come into this world in a rescue mission to save us from our sins. Thank you that you paid the debt that we owe that we could never pay ourselves. Thank you for coming to reconcile us to God and so transform us as we treasure the peace that we have with you that we would be eager to go and pursue that gospel peace with others. Help us, Lord Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen.